Welcome to The Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 067, number 67 of The Flux Capacitor. This podcast was recorded on-site at COP27, the United Nations Conference on Climate Change, in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Joining me direct from COP27 is... Michael Powell, Vice President of Government Relations at Electricity Canada. Michael joined me to provide the listener with a hot take from the conference floor of COP27. We talk about what it's like to attend the UN Climate Conference, how the experience is different this year due to the location of the event, the different experiences at the event for negotiators versus the majority of attendees at the pavilions, who we get to meet and work with, and how the discussions here connect to politics and policy back home. Here is my conversation with Michael, recorded in Sharm el-Sheikh at COP27 on November 15th, 2022. in Sharm el-Sheikh. So this is an an opportunity, uh, I guess, for the listener to kind of get a a hot take uh, of what it's actually like to be here on the ground. So here we are in Sharm el-Sheikh, COP27. You're here with uh, 30,000 of your closest friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, How would you try and describe um, the overall experience to somebody who's never seen something like this? Uh, Well, it's, it's overwhelming. I think is is the best way of thinking about it. The, uh, you know, the, there's, if if you haven't been to COP before, which is of course most people, uh, you, you see it from television and you read news reports about it, yep. and you read, uh, you know, will the world leaders figure out this and, and sort out the next step in climate change, and then uh, probably your biggest takeaway is a photo at the end with someone gaveling and announcing that there is a Glasgow Accord or a Paris Agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, on the ground, it is, as you said, there's 30,000 people here, but uh, they're from all over. There is, uh, you know, two or three different um, kinds of things that are happening in every any given moment. There's obviously the, the actual formal negotiations, which mm-hmm. are taking place uh, where we're actually sitting right now, uh, which is, you know, 500 meters almost from uh, where the uh, the pavilions, the national uh, delegate, like the, the it, like basically a giant trade show for countries and mm-hmm. climate commitments um, are taking place. And so you have the the formal structure negotiations, which most people here aren't paying that much attention to. They're probably interested in it. Right. Um, they may have something to say, uh, but the vast majority of people are engaged in this massive labyrinth of uh, booths and pavilions from individual countries, from environmental groups, from uh, civil society groups, from UN bodies that are are having a conversation about uh, how we advance managing the climate and make it so that we're actually able to meet any of our targets. Mm -hmm. And there are disparate views, uh, both uh, between uh, the developed and developing world, between uh, countries that produce fossil fuels and those that uh, might get swallowed up by the ocean as it rises mm-hmm. uh, between, um, uh, uh, and, as I said, environmental groups that are on a, of a more activist uh, bent versus uh, companies that uh, might be energy producers that are looking to change. And all of this is happening all at the same time uh, in a place where uh, it's, uh, you know, none of us for the most part have ever been here before. 
and we're you know living in this little fortified compound with with badges. Mm -hmm. So, do the um, formal negotiations actually matter to most of the people who were here? I think so. Um, it's it's interesting. One of the things that I start my day with is uh, I attend a, a, a briefing from. Uh, the business and industry NGOs or, or bingo group yep. and they have people that, that very much care that are uh, interested in making sure that um, in, in, like the voices of, of industry are heard uh, but heard in a way that um, sort of reflects the uh, ability of creating market structures so that they're able to, to get to 1.5 there was actually a, a big letter that was signed uh, by uh, probably you know a hundred different companies of all different kinds mm -hmm. and National chambers of commerce and those sorts of things uh, to you know keep to the 1.5 uh, degrees Celsius commitment. So not have temperature rise more than a degree and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, and and for those, it's it's about creating the mechanisms where you're you're able to make these things happen. I think the 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 meat and potatoes of a lot of these things uh, for most people are probably not that important. Mm -hmm. But the high level uh, takeaways that we are advancing that uh, we're uh, uh, the, you know, the rich parts of the world are helping the developed parts of the world with uh, the loss and damage from climate change that mm -hmm. isn't their fault, mm -hmm. that there is, uh, you know, capital available to help invest in renewable energy in the global south, that, uh, you know, we're going to attend an event on the Powering Path Coal Alliance, that mm -hmm. more countries phase out uh, coal-powered electricity, that, that those things are there. Um, and that, I think, is, is probably where the big stuff is. I, I don't think most people here have that strong an opinion if, you know, a comma's in one place or another or, uh, or, or what have you. But the, the big directional stuff that we're making progress and that the commitments are getting stronger is, is where that, that stuff is. So if you think in terms of um, a series of concentric circles and at the very middle at the, at the center would have been, I guess, the, the leaders, the, uh, a portion of the meeting the first day, uh, and then the, the first circle around that core would be the formal negotiations that are taking place. Um, the, at those bingo briefings, we're probably hearing from people who are kind of in sort of the second or third ring out. Yeah. Um, but the bulk of people are going to be even further from that center. I guess as you, as you get further from the center, there's, there's more people uh, involved. Um, um, but one of the things that's not here, uh, uh, to the, certainly to the same degree, that uh, has been at previous COPs uh, is um, outside of that circle, civil society. I, I guess because this is in a, in a controlled environment, um, in a resort. Uh, yeah. The last one I was at was in, in Madrid, and there weren't 30,000 people there. There was 100,000 people there. But a lot of them weren't even uh, badge delegates. They were um, uh, people that, that, that came and were at the periphery of the conference and demonstrated uh, for two weeks. That's not, that's absent this time. Yeah, in, in, in Madrid, like, I don't think that they usually need an excuse to protest, but the climate <laughs> is, is there. Um, so I attended, my first COP was last year in Glasgow. Yeah. Um, which uh, there's um, is, is a, an area called the Green Zone, which is uh, open to the general public. Uh, there is one here. Um, you do have to register to get in. I think anyone can register. Uh, but you're, you're right. Like, as compared to last year, um, there was a day-long uh, action in, in Glasgow where uh, I don't know how many people, but 
I, I saw the, the, the demonstration parade. It was very peaceful, mm -hmm. uh, but moved through town and danced and sung and pushed for, for real action on climate change. Um, and it, it moved all through the core of the city. You could mm -hmm. sort of see, uh, that was actually a day where I had some time off, so was sort of doing some souvenir shopping and that. You could hear the helicopter overhead, uh, and so that's how I knew where not to go, uh, because there right. was you know yep. lots of people there, just because I didn't want to deal with the crowds. Here, um, we're, we're not in the UK, <laughs> yeah. and so access is very controlled. Um, there's, I think, five or six different checkpoints if you wanted to drive in. Right. When you uh, flew in, um, there was uh, like a special visa just for getting a cop. Um, they have checked our passports a bunch of different times and things are, are more controlled to the point where um, some business-focused side events on like industrial technologies have actually created a, like a non-cop cop. Uh, called the Innovation Center uh, oh, okay, that okay. That's will allow, that's separately badged, yep. uh, that yep. allows for them to invite people and promote it in a way that the presidency hadn't allowed. So yeah, that, that's that's different than it is here. That's also part of the factor of an international conference is going to move between places and that getting to Madrid or getting to Glasgow is uh, very easy, mm -hmm. um, but is... Uh, always going to be more of a challenge when it's in a place that's a little harder to get to. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let, let's um, let's talk a little bit about the significance of the pavilions and those conversations that you know, if you, if you think in terms of um, the negotiations and then you know the, the concentric circles as you head out to those those people who are paying attention to the negotiations and then um, you know a, a further ring out where you've got. Um, the, the various pavilions from different organizations, different countries. Um, I, what do you see as the the importance of those kinds of activities? I mean, the kinds of activities that you and I have been involved well, in. Well, yeah, here. that's, um, it's, it's, we've been saying concentric circles. It's almost like a solar system, right? That yeah. there's uh, the negotiations at the heart and everything sort of orbits around that yep. as you get farther out. Yep. Um, you know, one of the questions I, I get asked is, so why are you going to COP? Like, um, and the, the interesting thing is that it's a gathering of uh, like-minded people uh, from around the world that are able to have uh, conversations about, you know, how we deal with the most pressing challenge of our time. Mm -hmm. um, like, we, we have, I think, collectively not done anything for long enough that we are at the, like, it's the essay is due the next day and we are, you know, Currently, we have started, we've just typed introduction. And so uh, that is, is where we're at. And it's a gathering of people where you're able to have um, these sorts of conversations about um, you know, what different uh, groups can do, where priorities should be, and, and get a sense of different perspectives. And so you know, most of my time here has, I spent a lot of time talking to Canadians, mm -hmm. um, that uh, there is a Canada Pavilion, that are people that I suppose I could have met back home uh, but in practice, um, maybe wouldn't have. Uh, meeting delegations from other countries. We talked about the bingo briefing. Yep. And so there's uh, people from all over the world that are, are involved in that. And then I guess the third one is just sitting and listening to what other countries are talking about. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, back in Ottawa, you know, I do some, some hydrogen stuff. I'm co-chair of the Electricity Working Group at Entercan for the hydrogen strategy uh, on the industry side. But we uh, sat in on a... A, you know, a ministerial at a, a UN innovation hub and uh, heard from 
the environment minister or energy minister from uh, Mauritius, which is a country in Africa. Okay. Uh, and the takeaway I had was, like, why are they investing in green hydrogen, thinking about um, the industrial opportunities that it has for, for their country? Uh, last year, I was sitting in on a, on a session, and at the end, they had comments from, from delegations, and one who represent, a gentleman who represented uh, microstates, uh, was, or not microstates, sorry, small island nations, mm-hmm. um, lamented that, you know, delays in getting to things, just they are seeing climate change now. And that is, it, you know, I, I can read newspapers and I get The Economist, I know what's happening. Uh, but when you hear people talk about it in a real way, then yes. it's uh, very different. I think that's important. And that's what you see in the pavilions. They're all, they're all a little different. Uh, and they all are running events, talking about climate change and how it impacts them and uh, you sort of have to go around and absorb it so when uh, you know when you talk about running events um, today was energy day Um, we've just come from uh, an event that that we put together uh, at the Canada Pavilion Um, why don't you describe for for the listener what is what is a you know running events mean what was today all about and what did it look like uh, in the Canada Pavilion so um, to take a step back, the um, Egyptian government sets thematic days that, that don't really matter for the negotiations. But okay, so every day has a different thing. Yeah, there was uh, decarbonization day was Friday. Yep. Uh, yesterday was uh, gender and water day, yep. that sort of thing. The uh, energy day is obviously important for us. Um, what uh, the Canada Pavilion has been doing is having a series of presentations that uh, focus on, on energy issues. So ours was about electricity and powering decarbonization. Earlier today, uh, there was there was you know a panel on uh, carbon pricing that the Minister uh, of Environment, Stephen Gibo, attended with partners from other countries that are doing it. And so it's a way for Canada to showcase um, how it's answering these uh, questions to position itself internationally, but also set itself up to um, advance with these things as they go forward. So it uh, it's an opportunity to position us internationally. Does it actually change anything in Canada? Is uh, our participation here and the participation by civil society and participation by government officials uh, halfway around the world, what kind of a difference uh, could it or does it make uh, to the lives of Canadians or policy back in Canada? Um, that's a good question. So. There's a couple of ways of measuring that. Um, the one is, who is the government sent to attend? And uh, for the duration, uh, Minister Gibo will be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, his deputy minister, uh, uh, Christine Hogan, was here, and the ambassador to climate change, um, Catherine Stewart. Uh, but that's really the only high-level participation. Justin Trudeau didn't come. Um, mm-hmm. min- other ministers had been sort of on the list but didn't make it. Um, and I think that's an indication that says that there. There's a lot going on, mm-hmm. uh, but that their time uh, is that they are needed somewhere else in a, with a greater urgency. And some of that's house sitting. It's a busy time. Mm-hmm. I think that we're we're making a bunch of changes in Canada. Uh, it's one of those places where this is happening, and this is all part of the energy transition that we're leading. So our focus is on building a cleaner electricity grid. We talked about that today. Um, the decisions that happen here. Uh, at COP writ large and in the negotiation room mm-hmm. will uh, set the stage for how 
our uh, policies are advanced, and I think uh, it gives us a chance to to remind government about the role that we play, mm-hmm. and or that anyone plays, so that they can have some influence on on where this stands. As an example, um, in a in a briefing, the Canadians, um, there were some environmental groups that challenged Minister Gibo on the inclusion of oil and gas companies uh, here of the delegation. Mm-hmm. And he, he said, you know, we're an open country, we, we hear from everyone. Um, someone said to me yesterday, uh, you know, reminded that what, what we have said had Stephen Harper not included environment groups. Um, and so uh, it's a chance, that's a conversation that would be difficult to have on its own in, uh, in Canada, but I think continues the conversation and gives people a chance to help influence the direction that, that Canada is going in and turn for Canada to you know, modify and smooth out and, and mm-hmm. focus its direction. I'm going to spring a question on you that I spring on lots of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, uh, very briefly, Michael, what uh, was your journey? Uh, you're Vice President of Government Relations now. Was, was this something that you uh, always wanted to do? Uh, is this what you, what you studied? Well, ever, ever since I was two, I would look outside the window and say that uh, one day I want to be an Electricity Association lobbyist and, uh, and travel the world. Uh, no, I, I don't know. Like, um, I, uh, I think that it's kind of fun. Uh, I've, I've always been a politics nerd and, you know, I, I think I started undergrad pretty sure that I was going to be a... Um, a lawyer and disabused myself of that notion pretty quickly. Uh, and so this is a way of having um, an influence on public policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to be creative in terms of how you can make changes in, for, for the better uh, with things and and do some, some really cool stuff like that. So for me, what I always wanted was a job which is always interesting, demanding, uh, and where you can see real world differences. And, and that's what I get to do here. Mm. Yeah. So Canada has a pavilion here for the first time in many years. I think the first time since COP was, was held in Montreal. Um, but what's, well, I was going to say, what's the significance of, of that? Is there a significance? Because that, that's a, a pretty major commitment. Um, there is day-long programming every hour. There's another panel that's being presented. Um, the minister is here basically for the duration uh, it's staffed from you know 8 a.m. Uh, well into the evening. Uh, the you know there's there's a, a whole lot of people that are involved in this. Big change. Is it significant? Is it a signal? Do you think? Yeah. Um, so this is apparently the first pavilion. I imagine we had something when we hosted, uh, but not in the same way. Yeah. Uh, it makes a very different experience for those attending because you can find the Canadians. And I think it's a missed opportunity not to have a place where we can tell our stories, yeah. um, which didn't exist last year uh, or in previous years. Um, Tuvalu, which is a country that has maybe a few thousand people and is in the you know, southern Pacific, yeah. uh, had a pavilion last year. Not right. a big one, but that's there. Yeah. And so I think if we're going to be serious about um, uh, climate change and being an international player on it, then we have to... There's table stakes here, and part of that is telling your story. That, like, you, you can't, I mean, uh, you, you, you gotta you do some of the stuff there and, and be part of the conversation and, and have that focus so you're able to 
talk about our cities internationally because we're doing some cool stuff. Canada mm-hmm. has carbon pricing. We're phasing out coal. Um, the methane emissions that are, are being reduced are, are important. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about building a net zero grid at home, uh, and you know whether it's 25 or 2035 or 2036, or um, you know the exact mechanics of that, it's going to be cleaner and we'll get better at it. And that's something we should be proud of, and we should have a booth that says that and gives people coffee and lets Canadians uh, meet each other so that we can better arm ourselves when we have these conversations with our peers from elsewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so any, any big learnings for you? Um, what's the either, either a big learning or anything surprising? Uh, you've been here for a week now, um, so what's, what's sticking with you? Um, well, they sure don't use seatbelts and cabs. Um, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think um, I think the biggest thing for me, which I don't think of a lot about, uh, is access to capital and just how, mm-hmm. um, like the rich parts of the world mostly haven't figured out, developing world not so much, and that's uh, something that needs to be fixed because uh, Fatih Birol, Fatih Birol, the head of IEA, mm-hmm. set the Canada Pavilion again. Wouldn't have happened with that one, uh, but talked about how. There's something like 600 million people in Africa that don't have access to electricity, sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, And that's in a place that has 60% of the potential capacity for solar in the world, Mm -hmm. or some some number like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's a solvable problem. We just need to figure out how we work on it, and that's where it is. And does the fact that COP takes place and those conversations are occurring, is that going to advance this? I hope so. Okay. So um, at the at the at the at the end of this COP, um, uh, are you going to feel more optimistic or less optimistic about the prospects uh, for first off for Canada in terms of in terms of meeting our meeting our aspirations, and then what about the world? So like maybe the same. Um, Canada set some pretty ambitious targets. Um, I think we got to work at them. Um, but it's a big lift. Mm-hmm. I think the thing I'm optimistic about more broadly is um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of public appetite for slowing down. Mm-hmm. And that with the war in Ukraine and inflation, uh, there's been lots of talk about the risk of backsliding. Yep. But business groups are opposed to that. Environmental groups are opposed to that. Um, the developing world seems to be opposed to that, and mm-hmm. the big uh, economies of the world too are also. It seems pretty focused. There might be some softening on uh, some things, uh, but it's not like uh, you know the the trick to energy security in the future is is not going to be uh, setting less ambitious targets. It's going to be making sure that we figure out the technology and the tools. To, to have clean energy mm-hmm. and, and decarbonization so that we're not uh, forcing things in the future uh, because the the risks of doing nothing or doing things slowly are, are astronomical. Mm-hmm. So you're more optimistic coming out of this? Yeah, I guess. Um, I think uh, I think maybe I'm more assured uh, is, okay. is the better way of thinking about it. Okay. All right. Uh, finally, Mike, um, a book. Let's, uh, add a, let's add a book to the, the Flux Capacitor book. So I'm, I'm reading uh, a book called Raccoon right now. Raccoon uh, is raccoon, in the animal? Uh, as it is about the animal. And uh, I forget the author's name, but it's, uh, I, I found it on a list of like books we love in the Golden Mail. Hmm. I'm like, oh, that seems interesting. And it's, uh, 
it's a quick read, but it uh, looks at sort of the cultural and social history of humans' interactions with raccoons, where we get the name, uh, because uh, where they fit in uh, culture historically with indigenous people, uh, and then of course in the modern world, how it basically evolved at times into a, you know, there's some pretty racialized characters and more. And, you know, what people think about our uh, crafty, capable, trash-eating neighbors. Uh, so it's really interesting. Okay. All right. So the title of it is simply Raccoon. It's, it is just Raccoon. All yeah. right. Well, we will put a, a link to Raccoon on the show page, and we will include it on the Flux Capacitor Book Club. Michael, thanks for doing this this quick hot take uh, of uh, COP27 here on the Thanks government. for having me. Sharm El Sheikh, thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Flux Capacitor. Keep an eye out for other dispatches from COP27. The website of this podcast can be found at thefluxcapacitor.ca, and it includes links for this episode on the show page. And while you're there, check out the book club page, which provides info and links to the books which have been recommended by guests on the Flux Capacitor. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.